Good morning, everybody. My name is Victor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Um, and part of my job uh, is to kind of oversee uh, a ministry in our church, uh, our small group ministry. And there have been just some pretty big changes uh, to our small groups, how they work, um, what we believe about them, what we're trying to do with them. And last week, we opened up um, signups for our small groups. And so uh, those will remain open for another week. Um, they'll close on September 12th. And I know just with you know seeing the masks again, and feeling like COVID is rearing its ugly head again. Maybe community is the very last thing on your mind. Getting into a room with other people or a backyard with other people is the last thing on your mind. For some of us, we are just weary and lonely from COVID. And, and so community is very much on our hearts. Um, but I just um, invite you to consider joining one of these communities. Um, They're one of the primary ways that we get to practice the Christian life together, to to kind of bring it from our heads into our our hearts and and out of our bodies in community with people who are different than us, believe different things about the world than us. Um, We get to kind of rub shoulders uh, with people like that. So just invite you uh, to consider that, to sign up for a group. You just go to our website. Um, you go to the Connect tab at the top and go down to Small Groups, and you'll find your way there. Um, so just invite you to that. Um, I'm going to read our um, scripture text this morning. It's just Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 2. So would you turn with me to Romans chapter 12? This is Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what's the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'll start with just a question for you. Who do you want to be? Just think about that for a moment. Who do you want to be? And how do you get there? Uh, When we talk about change, whether it's single persons or as corporate bodies or communities, we're talking about the process of going from one place to another, from who we are now to a different person or a different community. And the Apostle Paul thinks it's important that we consider this question because in Romans 12, before he launches into his 30-plus imperatives of how the segregated Jewish and Gentile house churches should do the Jesus life together, he gives them a framework for how to live into the glorious gospel of God's grace so that they actually change. 
so that they actually change. And this is good for us too, um, as individuals and communities, because I don't know about you, but in writing this sermon this week, I've just reflected um, on how elusive and slow change actually is. Change is hard. Change is, is hard. I've been a Christian for almost 15 years, and, and I still do, I still say, I still think many of the things I did as a young 20-something. How about you? Do you feel like change is difficult? And that's, I mean, I'm just talking about personal stuff. I mean, think about our world. It's more tribalistic than ever. It's more divided than ever. It's more entrenched in our thinking than ever. We're quicker to make enemies than ever. And when you have enemies, you start to feel pretty good about yourself, right? Then it goes, uh, well, you start to say things like, well, at least I'm not them. And then it goes from change is hard to change. I don't need to change. They're the ones that need to change. Well, friends, Jesus' church is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be different. And remember, like similar dynamics were going on in the church in Rome. Ben talked about it last week. Tensions existed between these two groups. Jews from Rome had visited Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They had, had become followers of Jesus. They had received his spirit. And then they travel back to Rome. And they plant all these house churches. And then they start to see Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. And they, they come together. But then soon after that, Emperor Claudius, um, he expels, he throws out the Jews from Rome. They leave. And because of this, the Gentile churches, they start to develop for a number of years on their own with their Gentile ways of doing life. And over the years, um, the Jewish Christians, they slowly start to filter back in to the Roman churches. And it's not hard to imagine that tensions would have developed between these law-observing Jews, uh, Jewish Christians, and Gentile Christians who lived free from those restrictions, who just saw life differently. And I think the temptation, I'm sure, was to remain separated in their Jewish and Gentile-flavored house churches. But Paul calls them together to, to, to be together as, as this beautiful, diverse community. It's a tall order. It's a big ask. And so, friends, as we, we read this text today, how do we do this thing together? How do we change? When we talk about change, we talk about three things. We talk about purpose. Where are we going? We talk about um, the path. What's the road look like along the way? And thirdly, we talk about the power to make it all the way to the end. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, let me pray. King Jesus, uh, I know that people in here are, are just as disenchanted about the possibility of change in their own lives, in the lives of uh, others that they love dearly in the lives of their enemies in uh, in our country, change seems impossible. 
And so many of us have just become cynical, resigned to the possibility of change. And we just kind of get by in our own echo chambers that feel safe or our own ways of doing things. And, um, and Lord, you just call us to this higher calling, uh, this beautifully diverse community um, that comes together. And that requires us to flex and change, and it's not comfortable. And we need your help. And so that's what we're asking for this morning. Would you form us into this community by your spirit? Uh, help us see you uh, this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. So how do we change? Well, first, we need to figure out where in the world we're going. Um, so look at the end of verse 2. We're going to kind of go through this text backwards and look at Paul's argument from the inside out. Paul mentions here at the end of verse 2, the will of God, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul says that the purpose of our transformation or change as individuals and as a community is to know what God desires and to our, align our whole selves with that purpose. In mentioning the will of God, not my will or your will, um, Paul just implies that the purpose of our lives is relational, that the direction we're heading isn't governed by us, but by him. And Paul assumes that there's a purpose outside of ourselves, bigger, more beautiful, more creative, wise, good, acceptable, glorious, and perfect than we could ever imagine on our own. It's outside of ourselves. And to some, this sounds ridiculous. If this is your first time here and you don't identify as a Christian, um, I, I, bet, I bet you're wondering, like, how does that leave any room for freedom? If, if my life, if my purpose is governed from, from outside of myself, because you're thinking, I decide what to do with my life. Well, the Christian idea of freedom is just much different than what the world believes about freedom. It's, it says, when I live in accord with how God made me, when we align our life together with his desires, his good, acceptable, perfect desires, when I relate to him, my neighbors, and the world in ways he designed me to, that's when I experience freedom. That's when I experience freedom. So where are you going? What's your purpose? What's our purpose? A life that isn't caught up in the good, acceptable, perfect designs of God who made us for himself. It still needs a purpose to cling to, to run towards. And and it actually ends up using God's stuff for themselves in ways that he never designed or intended them to. Um, just think about it this way. Um, a, a talented chef, a friend of yours, cooking a delicious meal and then seeing it being enjoyed by her friends. What if instead, what if instead uh, of enjoying it, you took that eight ounce ribeye steak that she'd labored to make for you and you started just using it in a game of ultimate frisbee? Or for my vegan friends, what if you took her vegetable stew and, and started using the broth to paint watercolors 
Well, it would break her heart. One, that would be a horrible game of Frisbee. And two, like, you, you, you do not get to the experience of consuming good food, but you also uh, take away her delight in seeing you enjoy what she has made for you. So it would break her heart in the same way when we use life in a way that God just never designed us to. When we take it for ourselves and twist it for our own ways, the, the same thing happens to his heart. So where are you going? What's, what's our purpose, the end goal of our change as individuals, as a community of Grace Chapel? And you know what? Some of us just might feel stuck here. We look at the pain that seems to plague our lives and the world, and it makes us question God. Are his ways good? Untimely death, a body that just is falling apart too soon, crippling depression, chronic pain, chronic loneliness, marriages ready to fall apart, the loss of a dream, hurricanes, failed governments, um, viruses that just shut down the world. None of these things make sense to us. How could he possibly weave all of this into something that's beautiful or just simply like mildly coherent? Good, acceptable, perfect? How about um, arbitrary, cold, detached? Some of us are saying, if, even if God does exist, is he good? Is he good? Do we want him to be the purpose that our change requires? You know, I get that. I get those types of questions, and I just sit here for a little while. Um, I, I, I sit here because we have to, we're uncomfortable here sometimes. Some of you just have to sit and ponder in these places, and, and I just ask you, as you do, would you stick it out with us? Would you stick it out with this community? Would you let us kind of hold on to hope as you put together the pieces again? For the follower of Jesus, purpose is given. It's, it's from outside of us. We know where we're headed, not because we have found it out, but because we have been found and called to the one who made us for himself. Purpose is given. So that's the purpose. How do we, how do we get there, though? What does the path look like? Well, um, look, look first. Uh, we, well, we need to consider just the path. What does it look like to get there? First, the path is costly. It's costly. Look at um, the middle of verse 1. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The path we have to walk in order to experience change is costly. And while Paul uses this sacrificial imagery that that both of his Jewish and Gentile audience would kind of get, they would have understood, I think that you and I as 21st century Western people, we need a little help. Because when we talk about sacrifice, we say things like, man, I sacrificed so much of my time to get that project done. Or we think of the sacrificial bunt in baseball, where the batter bunts the ball at the sacrifice of himself so that a person on base can, can, can move forward and, and possibly score a run. That's my one and only sportsy illustration that you'll get from me this year. So we talk about sacrifice in this way, but the Jews, they would have 
images in their minds of these animals being slaughtered in the temple and then burnt up completely on the altar. Like images, sensory um, data, just the smell, the sights, and the sounds. It would have filled their imagination. So when Paul uses this word sacrifice, it's much different than what you and I think of. In using the word sacrifice here, Paul points to the just comprehensive nature of our worship. So just as the burnt offering in the Old Testament was completely burnt up, devoured by fire on the altar as a pleasing aroma to God, followers of Jesus were to present our bodies, not just our physical bodies. I mean, it is that, but our whole selves to God in response to his grace towards us in Christ. Your whole self, your physical bodies, for, for sure. Which, it, that at least means living within your own God-given limitations. So getting the sleep that you need. Um, the food that you need. Practicing the Sabbath. Things like that. But this sacrifice, it lays claim to what, what's beyond your physical bodies, too. Your aspirations, your hopes, your dreams, your, your opinions, your preference, preferences, your political leanings, what you believe about marriage and sex and family planning, how you play, where you work, what to do with your retirement, what degree you should pursue, where you live, your money, the clothes that you wear, the friends that you keep, it lays claim to everything, every part of who you are. Because Christ died for you and gave up all of himself once and for all, the only rational, proper like, response to that, or what Paul refers to as spiritual worship at the end of verse 1, is to live for him. That's why he calls it a living sacrifice. Jesus was the dead sacrifice. Then you become, it makes you the living sacrifice, presenting all of who you are to him. So the path is costly. And we also read that, that this path, it, it's easy to lose our way. So look at verse 2. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this Greek word for con- conformed means to be pressed into a mold. A mold. And it's in the passive voice, which means that something is being done to you and I as we live in the world or, or in this age. Now, is Paul saying that the world God created is bad and that we need to, to detach ourselves from it or, or live outside of it? No, he's not saying that at all. God's creation is good. But Paul names just a familiar tension that every single follower of Jesus who's ever lived in the world is going to face. God's creation is good. But sin has corrupted it so that this age, what it thinks is important, what it gives its worship to, what it loves, um, it opposes God and, and his purposes. And it works really hard to form you in the same ways. So it's easy to lose our way, to be pressed into the mold of this world, to love the things that it loves And Paul says the antidote to that kind of change 
Um, that kind of deformation is to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. Our way of thinking about God, the world, and our place in it, it needs to change so that it reflects his heart. Um, We could spend a bajillion sermons on what that actually looks like, how it happens. But I'm just going to follow Paul's lead here. Because Paul is a good Hebrew, he has a biblical understanding of what it means to be a human being. He knows that that we aren't just brains on sticks, that we don't simply change from having right thinking, the right information, which is why he says that a renewed mind isn't enough. It's only the start, and it must eventually give way to something more. So at the end of verse 2, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing, by testing. This word, this word in the Greek is dokemazo. It means put it to the test. Test it out. Practice it. See if it's worth anything. The path towards change, it isn't easy. Paul doesn't want us to have any rose-colored glasses. It's costly. It's easy to lose our way. But we don't, and I would argue, cannot do it alone. And so the way that we test this thing out, friends, the way that we put it to practice is in the context of community. It's in the context of life with others who bug us, who think differently than us, to find out if it's actually worth anything. To find out if it's actually worth its weight and goal. We have to do it together. We have to do it together. John Henry Newman, uh, this 19th century theologian, said that the best preparation for loving the world at large and loving it duly and wisely is to cultivate an intimate friendship and affection towards those who are immediately about us. (laughs) I can have theology books on how to love other people, about God's love for other people. I can write a flashy sermon on the topic of love for others, but if I'm not in the trenches with you If I'm not living life with you, if you don't know what my living room or my dining room table looks like, if you don't know the stuff that I struggle with, then what am I doing? If I'm not committed to you, if I, if I feel like this, it just remains in my head. It just remains in your head. It just remains up there where it sounds good and it sounds idealistic, which is why we need to do it together. It's why we need each other. And not just the people who agree with us. Not just the people who vote the same way that we do. The people who bug us. Who annoy us. We need them. And you need me. I know I annoy some of you. You need me. (laughs) So, friends. um, If I, if I, I mean some of you because of just the realities of COVID, you're listening to this sermon online, right? But some of you have just, you've gotten used to church um, online. And I get it, it's easier, totally. It's, it's, it's so much easier. I'm obviously, I'm not talking to y'all. But, um, and, and I don't say this to guilt you, but really to invite you to consider the implications of a life separated from the community of God. Like, what is it doing to you to be separated from people, to experience any lasting change? 
you need a common and committed life with other believers to get this thing lived out, to figure out if it's actually worth it. You need each other. You need each other. You can tell I'm a little passionate about that. But that's not all you need. Because to just, if I walked off the stage right now, I mean, you would feel pretty heavy, I'm guessing, because that's not all you need. The moment we actually open up our doors and tables to those who make us uncomfortable, we can get super disenchanted about community. Um, and so we need the power to change um, through. We, we need the power to change and to see it through to the end. And Paul points us to it. So look at verse 1. He says, I I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. We live in a culture that has its own ideas about change. It it believes that, that beyond education, beyond a good American work ethic, that shame is the best motivator for change. If we, if we can publicly humiliate someone or a group of people, if we can tear apart their name and make it sound like a cuss word whenever people think about them or talk about them, if we can cancel them again and again and again and elevate ourselves above them, that will bring about the change that this world needs. Shame. How's that working? You know, we've tried to shame ourselves into change. We beat ourselves up with words meant to guilt us into change. You're such a, you big, dumb, you just fill in the words. We call ourselves names to try and guilt us ourselves into change. We've tried to shame others into, into change. We craft our, our passive-aggressive emails, text messages, and, and Facebook posts very carefully, hoping that it will get them to see the, way think, the, the, the things the way we do, right? And it just doesn't work because it's only mercy, more mercy, that changes us. It's only the personal experience of the kindness of God in Jesus that can bring about the lasting change in your life and our life as a community. That's why every single day, friends, every single Sunday, we rehearse this story of God's mercy to us in the person of Jesus because nothing else is going to change us. Friends, just considering what the world believes about change This might be the church's biggest witness right now, a community so transformed by the mercy of God, by the kindness of God that it spills over into our messy life together so that instead of canceling, there is just fought for reconciliation. Instead of blame, there's bearing with one another in love. Instead of shaming those Outside of our little echo chambers, there's a shared life together empowered by by the self-giving love of Christ. Do you want to change together? He is our power. He is our purpose. He gave his life for us. So let's give all of who we are as a living sacrifice to him. Let me pray. Father, we stand just on the cusp of um, four months in this chapter that calls us to these very weighty demands um, 
to come together as a diverse community to change uh, in such a way that our life together points this world to Jesus. That is a high calling. That is a big ask. And so we need, we need a roadmap to figure out how to actually do it, to change from the inside out. Not to just change in our thinking, but to change at a heart level. And not just for a couple of months, but for the long haul. And so, Lord, we just come uh, very needy to you. And we ask for more mercy. We ask for more mercy. Because uh, we need you to do this thing. Change us for your glory, for your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.